Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Really good to see you. Is winter going to hit us again? And then next Sunday, they're saying 60 degrees. I am so done with this, y'all. I am totally done with this winter. So excited to be in God's house today, though. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting a new sermon series entitled, We Are Family. Let's talk about family. Years ago in Woodburn, there was a senior adult lady named Ms. Barksdale. Anybody remember Ms. Barksdale? Sweetest lady ever. She was so amazing. I used to see Ms. Barksdale out in Woodburn at the post office or sometimes in town at, at Kroger. Ms. Barksdale would always say, How, how's your people? How's your people? And I never knew exactly, do I have people? Who are, who are my people? Uh, how's your people, she would say. I always assumed she meant my family and my church because I have people. And my people are my family people and my church people. And, and I've learned in my life how desperately I need both my church people and, and, and my family people. And you do too. And I want us to talk about that, how family and church need each other and, and they go together. Think about it this way. In the coming weeks, what would it be like if we could begin to bring family and church together in a way that we never have before? What would it be like in your own life if church became not just something else that your family does, a way that you spend part of your weekend, but what if this church and your family really started working together, working together in a way that they never have? What if the goals, the mission of this church became aligned with the mission of your family. And you're thinking, wait, my family has a mission and that's what I've been telling you. Yes, we live life on mission. And that means as a family, you live lives together on a shared mission. Can we talk about that for the next several weeks? I wanna hit it hard this morning. I really wanna hit it hard tonight. And I know there's a possibility of a gigantic winter storm that could wipe out church tonight. We'll let you know this afternoon. But let me tell you, I'm preaching tonight no matter what. I really am. I'm going to preach tonight no matter what. So even if we cancel church, I'm preaching tonight. And that means that sermon will go on on our church's website, woodburnbaptist.org, or the sermon will go on Vimeo, on our church's channel on Vimeo. Just Google the word Vimeo, and I want you to watch tonight's sermon. Now, I'm going to be in an empty house. And, and I may just even do it in my pajama pants if, if I need to, but I am preaching tonight and I don't want you to miss it. We've put this series off already a month and, and we can't put it off anymore and I don't want to miss tonight's sermon. One way or the other, I'm going to get this thing preached. So even if we cancel church, I'm going to put tonight's sermon, I'm going to preach it and going to put it up on the internet. So find it, watch it with your family. You have no excuse. You watch my sermon and then you watch Walking Dead tonight, all right, but, but you do do it in, in that order, in, in that order. Second Timothy chapter one is where I want us to be. In cafe this morning, turn with this. Second Timothy chapter one. I, I want us to take a look at a family. I want us to take a look at a young man named Timothy who becomes a mighty man of God. And let's stop and, and, and just take it apart. How does he become such a mighty man of God? Where does he come from? How does the Holy Spirit form such a kingdom heart in a young person? And the answer is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 1. He has a family. It may not be the kind of family you're expecting, but, but it is his family nonetheless. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. 
May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Let's stop right there. Okay, it's this amazing young pastor. By the time Paul is writing this letter, Timothy's a young pastor, but he didn't just come out of nowhere. You don't just, you know, turn over a rock out in the woods and a pastor pops out. You understand? You don't just turn over a rock in the woods and, and young men and women who were passionate disciples of Christ spring up. They don't just come from nowhere. So the question becomes, how does God form a kingdom heart in a young person? How does a person like Timothy become a follower of Christ? And the answers are in this text. First, you got to understand the Holy Spirit uses the, say it, family. The Holy Spirit uses the family first. Now, Paul is uh, affirming the faith that he sees in young Timothy. He's praising young Timothy for the passion and heart for God that Timothy has. But Paul says, you know what, Timothy, I see it in you, but I've seen it before. Because I knew your grandmother and I knew your mother, Eunice and Lois. And Paul says that same sincere faith I see in you is that same sincere faith that you got from them. So understand how this works. The Holy Spirit uses the family first. It was first the faith that was in that grandmother and that mother. It's a sincere faith, Paul says. Now that Greek word sincere is actually an art term. Uh, I'm an art major, so art nerd alert, okay? That word sincere is, is an art term. It has to do with a quality that was apparent in, in the ancient Roman and Greek world with their sculpture, their statues. Now, statues, that, that kind of sculpture was typically carved out of marble, and they're amazing, and they seem absolutely perfect, but not a lot of artists could actually carve a perfect statue. And, and if you uh, take too much of a bite out of the marble with your chisel and your hammer, you can can't just put that back in. You understand? You have a flaw. You have something that is going to ruin the perfection of, of the figure that you were sculpting. So, uh, artists who wanted sort of to, to make their work look better than it was, they would take wax and they would fill in the imperfections and they would buff it and it would look just perfect. It looked like perfect marble. But it wasn't perfect. The, the imperfections were filled in, were covered over with wax. And nobody could tell. You could never know that the artist had actually covered up the imperfections with wax until the sun came out. And once the sun came out and that sculpture is out somewhere outdoors in some sort of beautiful uh, courtyard, understand once the sun hit, what happened? Yeah, the wax melted and the imperfections would be revealed. So that word sincere, it literally means without wax. Without wax. In, in other words, th- this is pure. Th- th- this is genuine faith. This is sincere. I-, I see it in you, Timothy, but I saw it first in your grandmother and in your mother. This is the real thing. 
Now, understand, faith is always revealed to be what it is in families. You understand? At church, it can get kind of waxy up in here. You understand? It is possible for an hour on Sunday for all of us to look better than we are. But you can't maintain it for long. By the time you get home, you're just about to bust out. You understand? You can't fake faith 24-7. You can do it on Sunday, but you can't fake it at home. And so understand, all of the continuity, all of the integrity, all of the sincerity, and all of the contradictions of your faith are going to be revealed at home. Have you not noticed? Have you not paid attention to the people you live with? Faith is revealed to be what it is at home. And the Holy Spirit uses the family first. Paul says, I've seen that faith. It's the faith I saw in your grandmother and, and, and in your mother. Let me stop right here. Interestingly, who's not mentioned in that? Is it just me or, or do you not also hear Paul praise in that family and wonder whose name never gets mentioned in all of Scripture as many times as Lois and Eunice get held up high on a pedestal? And these are amazing women. Whose name never gets called in Scripture when you're talking about Timothy? His dad. I want to know where he was. I want to know why it is every time Timothy is, is, is talked about or his family is praised, Eunice and Lois, I want to know why there's never any mention of Timothy's dad. He's either dead or absent or at home. But one way or another, when you're talking about the spiritual heritage of this young man, you never have anything to say about the dad. Now, I find that heartbreaking and tragic. Maybe just as a father speaking, I find that heartbreaking. Because honestly, just one of the things that I just really believe, I think every father is meant to be the pastor of his family. Now, I know even in this house, I'm talking to families led by single moms, and God bless you. There's a real possibility that Lois was a single mom. You understand that? Living with her mother, a grandmother, and, and her daughter living in the house raising their son. I mean, maybe that's how Timothy grew up. You, you think that the church and the, the Bible are full of perfect families, but I don't find any perfect families. And Timothy's family, one way or the other, it's not exactly what you're expecting. It's led by these amazing women of God, and whether or not Timothy's father was ever much of an influence, I, I don't know. I guarantee he was an influence, but whether or not he was a godly influence, I, I just don't know. I, I can't say. But I find that heartbreaking. These women are able to raise this child, raise this boy to be a man of God in, in, in a hypersexual pagan culture. We're going to learn more and more about that as the years go by in the United States, I'm afraid. But but I'm telling you, we need some dads to step up in a big way. Lois and Eunice can do it without Timothy's dad, but they shouldn't have to. Are you with me? Men, y'all are looking at me like you're already mad at me. I, I just got started. I, I'm just trying to tell you something, and surely there's something in your father's heart that, that wants to run toward this. Don't you want to be the leader of your family in this way? I mean, if somebody's going to step out in, in a big way for faith in your household, don't you want it to be you? It's too often we just assume that mom's going to get the kids ready for church, that mom's going to lead the prayer, that mom's going to be the spiritual leader of the house. And praise God for good godly women. I'm not about to tear them down. I'm just saying, Dad, why don't you step up? 
I mean, just imagine for a moment if moms and dads worked together in this. Just imagine for a moment that it wasn't the father always being the spiritual drag in the house. I mean, let's just imagine for a moment that the men of this church caught fire for being the pastors in their own home. Every father is meant to be the pastor of his family. I don't know where Timothy's father is, but interestingly enough, God does something amazing. Verse 2, Paul writes, I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. What did Paul adopt him? Adopt him? I was in Sunday school one day with a girl who was kind of new to the church and knew the Bible, and she said, I never knew that Paul was Timothy's daddy. Is that what this is saying? Is, is Paul Timothy's father? No, no, not in that way, but we're talking spiritually here. There is this amazing bond that begins to, to, to come together between Paul and this young disciple. And Paul becomes a, a kind of spiritual father, a spiritual big brother, whatever you want to say. But, but, but there's a way in which, understand, the Holy Spirit uses the church. The Holy Spirit uses the church too, not always to fill in the gaps for families, but certainly when there are gaps, there should be the church to come up underneath and beside families to fill in those spiritual gaps. The bottom line is, in Timothy's life, the Holy Spirit uses his amazing family, his grandmother's mother, but the Holy Spirit also uses the church. Paul is there for Timothy at amazing moments of his life and in an amazing way. Paul prays for Timothy, and he makes sure that Timothy knows that he prays for him. Paul becomes this incredible spiritual father to him because the Holy Spirit uses the church. And I'm here to tell you, every young disciple needs the family of faith to fan into flame the, the spirit inside their hearts. You not agree with that? Every young disciple needs that. Paul can say, Timothy, I remember that night at church when we all laid hands on you and you cried like a baby. And before it was over, we were all crying because we could see that God had his hand on you, young man. I mean, that's amazing to have a man of God, a man from your church who loves you like that and believes in you like that and can see something in your heart that you can't see yet at that age. You understand how that works? The Holy Spirit uses the church and every young disciple, every young person needs that. It's part of why I love Woodburn Baptist Church, because we've always been that kind of church. Always been a church where the, the older folks take a lot of interest in the younger folks. We've always had this incredible kind of encouragement that flows across generations. I'm telling you, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's exactly how it's supposed to be. But we need more of it. We need more of it for a, a simple reason. And I want to talk now for a moment about church and about family and how these two things come together. Now, uh, the sermon's called The Orange Philosophy. And if you notice, there's a lot of orange in this house today. Some of it plays, some of you just wear orange, apparently. Uh, and, and that's awesome. You, you look fantastic. The color orange, think about it for a moment. The color orange is formed when two uh, other very strong colors come together. The colors that make orange are? Yeah, red and yellow. The, the principle is, is this, that two influences working together are greater than the same two influences working alone. Two influences working together are actually greater than two influences working alone. 
So if red and yellow make orange, then think of red as the love of family, and think of yellow as the light of the church, and think of what happens when these two things come together. That's why we're talking about orange. We want you to think about what happens when two things come together, because the truth is we all need the church and the family to work together. We need that. Your family needs it. The church needs it. We all benefit when the church and family work together. There are people in this house right now saying, well, Brother Tim, you know, I I live alone. I don't have a family. So can I take the next few weeks off? No. No. Do you understand what we're saying? It's church and family working together. You may not have children of your own, but you have a certain responsibility toward the young disciples in this church. They need you. They need the church. The families need you. Brother Tim, I've raised all my kids. I'm I'm done with that. You know, we're in a different stage of life. We're empty nesters. My wife and I are empty nesters. That's the most awesome thing ever. No offense, son. It's an awesome thing. It's just an amazing stage of life. In case I, um, it's just amazing. If we'd have known how good this is, we'd have kicked him out so much earlier. But we're out of that phase. We're not raising kids anymore. I enjoy giving your kids candy at church and hyping them up on sugar and sending them home with you. I mean, I, I, I enjoy that. But I'm out of that phase. I understand that, that, you know, can't I just be past that? Do I really have to keep thinking about that? Do you not understand? The church and the family need to work together, and you are the church. When we say the church and family working together, we're not talking about the church staff. We're part of the church, but I'm only one member of this church. All I can do is contribute what I can contribute. You've got to contribute what you contribute, and the families of this church need all of us together. It's the church and the family working together. No, why does that matter so much? Let me walk you through it. First off, nothing is more important than someone's relationship with God. Will you agree with that? Nothing is more important than a person's relationship with God. So if you believe that, then understand this. 85% of people who ever come to Christ, 85% of people who ever become Christians, they do that before they move out from under their, their parents' roof. In other words, most people who ever become Christians, they become Christians during those family years before the age of 18. 85 percent. Now, that's not to say that adults don't get saved. They get saved all the time. They get saved in our church. Praise the Lord for grown-ups getting saved. Senior adults get saved. I'm not saying that they don't, but I'm just saying most people who ever get saved, 85 percent do so before their 18th birthday. Let's test it. In this room right here and in the cafe too, raise your hands. All of you who were saved before you were 18 years old, hands up. All right? Any argument? Over 85%. Most hands in this room just went up. In the cafe, I'd expect the same thing. Do it anywhere you want to go. 85% of people who ever come to Christ do so before they move out from under their parents' roofs. That makes... The evangelistic work we do with with children and teenagers, very, very important. As the body of Christ, that makes the discipleship programs of our children and youth more important than anything else that we could possibly do. Now, when I say that, I don't mean to take anything away from the parents' role. God gives parents primary influence. 
you have primary influence. As parents, you have 75 times the influence that, that church folks have. I just get that number based on the hours that you spend, based on the hours we spend with your kids. Matt Betts is an amazing student pastor, amen? He's an amazing student pastor, but for the most part, he'll have your teenager for about an hour a week. It's a good hour, and he puts a whole lot into that hour, and he does a lot with our teens in that hour, and I know he puts in more hours. I'm not just saying he works an hour a week, y'all. Y'all got that. But he has your kids for an hour. That's nothing compared to the hours you have your kids. You understand? Nothing compared to that. And what Matt can do, the best he can do, is only try to reinforce the faith that your children are learning from you. Children are much more likely to inherit the faith of their parents. You understand? If the parents are following Jesus, understand, the kids are going to follow the parents first. And that really is God's intention, that your children learn to follow Jesus by first following you. And they will. Your kids are going to turn out so much more like you than they're going to turn out like Matt Betts or Nicole Butman or any one of us here at church. You are the primary influence. As parents, you are. Your kids are going to get faith from you. They're going to follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus. They're going to have your kind of passion. They're going to think of uh, church attendance in the way that you think of church attendance. They're going to want to serve Christ in about the way they've seen you serve Christ. You are the primary influence. The church is not, and we can't be. You have 75 times the influence in any one of us if we were doing our very best. Do, Do you understand that? So understand this, the church's potential to impact kids dramatically increases when we work with parents. As a church, if we want to disciple kids, children, young people, then understand uh, our impact is dramatically increased when we work with the parents. Now, I've been your pastor for, for 20 years. We've not always worked with parents well. Now, sometimes during certain seasons, the majority of our children's ministry were non-church families, non-church kids. So we had kids in our children's programs, most of the kids during some seasons, and we didn't even have the parents in church. In some cases, the parents weren't really believers at all. But I would still say our impact with that generation of kids would have been greater if all of us had done a better job of working with the parents. We've gone after kids sometimes with incredible passion, but we never make our way to go around and meet the Father. And there's something wrong with our church's thinking when we don't ever start to ask the question, of where are these children's parents? Why don't we ever go after the parents? You understand, our potential to impact kids is dramatically increased when we work with parents. I want us to do a better job of this. Now, Matt Betts and Nicole Butman, amazing leaders for us, they want to do this, and they're working hard toward doing this. So let me say this to the parents. As parents, your potential to influence your kids dramatically increases when you work with the church. Again, you are the primary influence. You are the priority when it comes to faith in your kids. But I'm telling you, you need the church. And your impact on your kid's life will be dramatically increased when you begin to work with the church. Back in my youth ministry days, I had a a kid. I just loved this kid. He was a good kid, and and he really loved the Lord. He had one of those hearts that just ran ran after the Lord. He was 13, 14 years old, and he turned 16, and he got his driver's license. 
Now, this is a kid who was always at church, always at church, a lot because I picked him up, but, but he's always at, at church. And when he turned 16, he told me one Wednesday night that he wouldn't, wouldn't, be back, wouldn't be back the next week because his daddy was making him get a job. Now, I'm all about work, and I'm about teaching kids to work. That, that, that's, that's not bad parenting. But the thing is, the kid was going to miss every Wednesday night because he was going to take a new job that, that, that would take him out of, out of church. And, and because the kid played sports, he couldn't necessarily be off on Friday, Saturday, so he would work Sunday. And so just like that, all of a sudden, this kid's totally out of church, completely. I talked to the dad about it. I talked to the kid about it. I said, you know, is this really the best? Is there no way to arrange a schedule? And they insisted that this was the only schedule that would work for their family, that the kid would work when otherwise he'd always been in church. Now, I know there are a lot of causes and a lot of things that that make life really complicated, but but, but let me just say there were about two years that passed and I never saw the kid at church. And And then that teenager got his girlfriend pregnant. And at that point, that father brings that kid to me and says, Pastor Tim, is, is, is there anything you can do? Can you do something to help our son? Well, I would do anything to help their son, even to this day. But, but you understand, what I could do to help their son, I was doing on Wednesday nights. And I was doing it on Sunday. And I was doing it constantly. And the whole idea was that I was trying to help their son all along the way. You see, I can't be the primary influence, and and, and none of us can be, the parents are. But as parents, your potential to influence your kids dramatically, dramatically increases when you work with the church. We we need to work together. We need each other. Let me say this. When it comes to working with the church, the question that we need to answer is, what is it that the church does for families? Obviously, we're not going to follow you home. We're probably not going to buy your groceries. Uh, we're not, we're not going to discipline your kids, although could we? No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think according to Scripture, I can say this. The church's job when it comes to your family is to build up. The, the, the New Testament word is edify, to, to build up, to build up and equip families to live as disciples on mission in the world. This is what the church is trying to do. We want to build up and we want to equip you as a family to live as disciples on mission in the world. And at that point, when I said earlier that that the mission, the goal of your family becomes aligned with the goal of this church, if all of us are are living lives on mission, then your family is living on mission. And that means, especially during these family years when you have the kids at home, understand, for about 18 years, you have this amazing opportunity to share a mission, to, to share the mission, to live together as disciples. And this is how kids learn. This is how they grow. They learn it from parents. And just can you not even imagine how the life of your family for generations would change if right now, mom, or right now, mom and dad, if the two of you would start living as disciples on mission in the world and bring your kids along for that adventure. Kids these days, I'm telling you, they don't just want to come to church and and learn Bible verses. They don't just want to sit in chairs and rows and and color coloring pages. They want an adventure of following Christ. They want experiences. And I'm telling you, that's what happens in families when moms and dads themselves are living the adventure of following Christ. But if mom and dad won't go there, they can't take the kids there. And if mom and dad won't do it, the church can't do it for you. We got to work together. 
And this is what I'm saying, that the church is here to build you up and equip you so that you as a family can, can live out your mission in the world as disciples. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But now as a family, you've got to live on mission. You've got to figure out your, your mission. I know you're frustrated sometimes. Family life is hard. And I know that right now, a, a lot of you feel like your problem is that you're not very good time managers, and maybe you're not. Maybe your problem is that you're trying to do too much. I, I don't know. We do an awful lot in my family. We don't ever, ever sit down, ever. Our, our cars just doesn't even cool off, you know. We, we keep the road hot. But I don't think any of those things are your problems. I, I don't think your problems are your problem. My hunch is that the frustration you feel as a family, the way that you feel like there's never enough time, never enough money, never enough affection, and never enough discipline, that frustration you feel that there's never enough of anything. What if that frustration is really just what happens when the life that Christ has for your family becomes very, very detached from the life you actually live? What if as a family, you really got down to discussing what is our purpose? What does Christ have for us? What are we supposed to be accomplishing together? What are our values? Well, what is it in this family that's important, you know, beyond just, you know, eating out? What is it that's important beyond just sports? What is it that's important, you know, beyond just the dog? What is it that really matters to us? What is our mission? What if as a family, you were really able to define and describe that? Homework. If you're on the live event, the YouVersion Bible app live event for this sermon, if you're not, find it. Find it. Just go to the Bible app, YouVersion, look for live events, put in Woodburn Baptist Church or, or our zip code 42170. The, the sermon title is The Orange Philosophy. I, I want you to find the live event. I have a link to an article that talks about trying to develop your family's mission. I, I want you to do it. I, I really want you to read the article. I want you to ask the questions of each other. I want you to start a conversation. Your job as parents is not just to manage an impossible schedule so that your kids can have all of the activities to make them well-rounded adults. I, I know that's what the culture tells you, but that's not... You, you're, you're a Christian family. You don't let the world tell you what your priorities are. You're a Christian family. And therefore, your mission, your priorities have to come from Christ. And when your family's mission begins to align with our church's mission, when all of us together as disciples living on mission begin to, uh, to build up and equip one another to live lives on mission, I'm telling you, this church will be different your family will be different. And I can't imagine a more wonderful thing than if uh, we change in such a way where our church and our family start working together uh, to live lives on mission.